Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Sarah Plumley. Sarah Plumley, welcome to the State of the Markets. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Good to be here. I think this I think this this collision um, we owe something to our, our mutual friends to Stephen Wilkinson, I suspect. Yeah, this has definitely got his fingerprints all over it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how, do you, how do you know Stephen? Um, funny one, actually. I wrote a letter in 2021, in November 21, to my best friend, a friend of uh, over 30 years, explaining to her why I couldn't attend her wedding. Um, I live in France and uh, my friend lives in the UK. And the travel restrictions at the time were such that if I didn't have a vaccine passport, then I may not travel. Um, Other possibilities might have been to go via a different route, maybe take a boat or something, but I would have still had to have taken a test and worn a mask. And I will not do, I have never done and will never do any of those things. So I wrote her a letter, a very polite letter, explaining why I sadly couldn't attend her wedding because I didn't think it was the right thing to do. No government should ever tell anybody what to put in and especially, sorry, put on and especially in their bodies. That's just not acceptable under any circumstances. So I wrote this letter and I published it on Twitter. Uh, at the time, I was also promoting some uh, handwriting classes that I teach. I teach cursive, proper old fashioned, old school handwriting because it's something that's dying and it's very, very important, actually. But maybe we'll come back to that later. In any case, I think uh, one of the Delling polls retweeted it very kindly and Sir Stephen saw it. Uh, and it was it, it at that kind at that time I also launched a thing called Pen Pal Revival, whereby I was getting people who are awakening or people who are aware that something's really wrong here were linking up and sending letters to one another. And the idea was that we would have a real archive for future historians of stuff that couldn't be interfered with. Because of course, if you write something on the internet, that can be altered, it can be deleted, it can be amended, it can be memory hold. Whereas if you have an archive of private letters, hard copy letters in your house, and if they're in houses all over the world, that's much more difficult to get rid of. And those those sorts of things end up in archives and historians are very grateful for that sort of stuff. And of course, you, you have like people who are of like mind meeting up and feeling less alone during quite a difficult and dark time for some people. And I think he liked the idea and joined. And then one thing led to another. And here we are. That's a fascinating perspective. And it, 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 it strikes me that a lot of the response to whatever you want to call the current crisis or predicament is a lot of the responses are going to be analog responses in in many respects because the nature of part of the nature of the problem is it's a digital problem it's you know digital surveillance and it's smartphones and all the rest are involved and one way of potentially dealing with that is actually stripping out the digital and going back to first principles Quite. I've just spent Saturday, all of Saturday, doing a handwriting workshop, write cursive, and we had uh, ten parents and about six, six or eight children uh, attended uh, live via Zoom, and we had a wonderful day. And you know, young young boys who whose parents tell me they they despise writing, they refuse to hold a pen, uh, they don't enjoy it. We're actually really having a good day, and many of them did three, four pages of A4 writing because I'd explained to them that AI is still having a problem interpreting some versions of cursive. And in any case, even if AI eventually cracks everyone's handwriting, well, if you send a letter in the mail, it strikes me that that's probably the most private communications left available to us in this uh, post. Snowden revelations era. Sarah, Sarah, do you want to tell us a bit about what you actually do? 
Yeah, sure. Um, it's, it's a funny one because um, I've only been doing this for two or three years. I was a, I'm a former classroom mathematics teacher, secondary school maths. I used to teach people GCSE and A-level in particular. And I noticed that schools don't teach, schools don't educate. There's something very, very wrong in, in the classrooms. And I was horrified. I worked in about 10, 12, maybe 14 different schools and different types of schools all over the UK, in the North, in the South, faith schools. I worked in special schools. I worked in behavioral units. I got loads of experience of all different kinds of things. And I, I recognize that there's a huge problem, particularly within the subject of mathematics, although that also applies to things like modern foreign languages, musical instruments, martial arts, sport. All of these things are um, taught and are learned in the same way in, in, you know, in, in an ideal world. But it's not happening like that at all. And I, I could see that, that students were struggling in very simple areas of mathematics. Like I would get a group of year sevens so 11-year-olds, for those who are outside of the UK, a bunch of 11-year-olds who could not reliably add, subtract, multiply and divide using pen and paper. They don't know their times tables and they have no, no comprehension of negative numbers or, or how they work. And it was, it was shocking to me that things had fallen so dramatically even since I'd been at school. So I started to do some experiments in my classroom and then I got loads of heat from the local authority in one of my schools because they weren't happy with the things that my data were showing. And um, long story short, I, ha I had to leave because I wanted to teach children mathematics, honestly, properly, faithfully. And what's going on in schools is not the same thing. That, that's not what's happening. And it's not just mathematics either. I found out subsequently. Anyway, long story short, I left and went out on my own private tutoring. I've always had a private practice anyway, since about 2010, 11. I switched to 100% online tuition in 2015 because my husband and I decided to emigrate to France purely to be out in the countryside. We um, we didn't like the look of what was coming. We didn't like the idea of smart cities. We were not very happy about uh, the state of uh, finance. We didn't, we're not very um, well schooled in finance, or I should say well-educated because being schooled and educated are two different things, of course, but we were very worried about what we were seeing. So we uh, sold and um, moved out to France and bought, bought a place in the, in the countryside. And that was a pretty good move. So at that point, all of my, my uh, private tuition in mathematics had to be online. And I was a GCSE exams and A-level exams specialist, which, of course, went very badly wrong in um, the, the uh, what I call the pandemic years, pandemic with an L, because I think there's sufficient evidence to show that um, this was planned. Um, and I, I actually found that my at first, a few people were reluctant to have online classes. This was back in 2014, 2015. But the people who I'd taught in person for many years faithfully switched over because they would rather be with me uh, um, online than have somebody else in person. Anyway, eventually, I realized that I wanted to help more people pass their GCSEs. And I started an online uh, course. I, I, I put all my, my stuff on video and built an app for students to use. And I, I was focusing on uh, athletes because I love I love sport. I'm a former sportswoman myself, played uh, county cricket and county football. And I've been a, an international assistant referee in, in women's football. And I was also a football referee up to, I would say, the likes of FC United I was on the line for. So for people who know refereeing, that's uh, level four. I got my class, the old class one, the, the, the current level four. So I was refereeing on a Saturday afternoon at the top level of men's amateur football and sometimes semi-pro. So I've had a bit of a... Um, uh, a mixed uh, career, very enjoyable and, and broad one. But um, the focus on athletes was because they were struggling to pass GCSE, which they shouldn't these days. It's so easy. And I, I worked out a system to help them do it. The athletes are, if nothing else, they at least 
understand and appreciate rigor and repetition and self-discipline. And, that, and if, if you've got those skills, I can definitely help you get qualifications in mathematics. So I put all this stuff online. And then, of course, the the government, I have another word for them, but that it's quite a rude one. Um, the government decided to cancel the GCSEs for the first time in certainly in living memory. Uh, and that effectively ended my first ever business. So whilst I was still a, um, a well-employed private tutor, my first attempt at having um, a business where I earn income when, so that I don't have to be there, it's, it's, it's income that's sort of pass, almost passive. I don't have to do very much. People can access my videos at three o'clock in the morning. They've paid their fee to, to get into the member's site. And that's, you know, it's not my business. I've, I've done the work. It's there for them whenever they need it. So that's so, like, that's like on demand tuition then effectively. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've effectively, thank you. Yeah. Nice way of putting it. I, I've effectively put private tuition in your pocket. You can, you know, access it on your phone or your, your smartphone or, or your tablet, your laptop, whatever. And that's, that's what I did. I tried to bottle my, my own private tuition because I realized that I could only choose to 30 to 40 people faithfully each year and do a proper job and that's not very many and it's not you know I've actually solved a really difficult problem and I proved it in schools before I before I quit I managed to get uh, a school that was failing really badly at GCSE they were getting 45% A star to C so just 45% of year 11s were getting a pass in GCSE math it's ridiculous less than half of the less than half of a year 11 in a in a school a state school I was shocked Anyway, um, using my system, I got that up to 72%. And I, I, you know, set, I taught set four out of six. So this was a low ability set where less than, well, actually, all of the students were expected to fail in my class. And I got 100% um, C and some B grades. So everybody, the, the system that I've been using really, really works. It's because I understand what, what's going wrong in, in the tuition. Most of it's to do with uh, textbooks. And that's um, well, that's another story. But school textbooks are a complete disaster. They're aimed at the top seven percent. And in actual fact, textbooks really originally, certainly in mathematics, were for teacher use only. It was to remind the teacher of all the different variants of a similar topic. And this has been completely forgotten or I, I don't know what exactly how it went wrong. But you're, they're now slinging textbooks at students and expecting them to make these leaps. And the student tends to blame themselves when they get. So they'll see an example of something like expanding a bracket and then they'll they'll do it, do one and it'll work and they think, great. But then they come up against another one, which is slightly different. And the student might not always realize the subtle differences between the first, second and third questions in any exercise. And they get when they can't do it, they feel ashamed and they feel stupid. And it's not them at all. It's because they haven't been given an opportunity to practice that one little skill in that one variant and gain confidence in that first before being shown something slightly different or being um, challenged with something slightly different, something they've never seen before. So a quick example would be, say you had um, three uh, open bracket X plus four, close bracket. That's three open bracket X plus four, close bracket. And if you're being asked to expand it, you're wanting to multiply. So three times X would be three X and three times four would be 12. So the solution would be three X plus 12. But the next uh, question. So that would be question A in a, any given exercise. Question B might be outside of the bracket 3x and then inside the bracket x plus 4, close bracket. So what's happened now is we've shoved an x right next to the 3. The 3 in effect has become the coefficient posh word for number in front of the x. So now the student who is expected to expand, i.e. multiply out these brackets, has to go 3x times x is 3x squared and 3x times 4 is 12x. 
a final answer 3x squared plus 12x. Those two things are very different to a student who's only just been shown how to expand one bracket, whereby you have just a number outside the bracket, um, as opposed to a number and a letter outside of the bracket. And th this, this is everywhere in mathematics. This isn't just an algebra problem. This isn't just a secondary school problem. This is everywhere, every worksheet, every website, even websites by really quite famous people are making these appalling fundamental flaws. It might be okay for the top 7% in the country, maybe even the top 10%, but what about everybody else? State schools are supposed to be aimed at the middle. Well, maybe they once were. Maybe maybe this is a, a, a blazing example of how far educational standards have fallen in our country. And I wouldn't be, you know, I would be definitely up for discussing that. that. That's one possibility. But the other possibility is that these textbooks haven't actually been well-structured or well-designed at all for maximum progress for most people. And that that's really why I, um, um, I I got very, very annoyed when the, the pandemic uh, kicked off. I saw what it was straight away because I analysed the um, – everyone started doing this later, but at the very beginning, I figured out that they were going to lie about what was and what was not a COVID death. I knew they were going to include anything that was respiratory. I just knew it. And so, therefore, I looked at um, all-cause mortality, and I looked at those numbers straight away. I'm talking March, April now in 2020 – and I, I could show that they were significantly lower at the point the country was locked down on the 23rd of March. Those death numbers were significantly lower than both the five-year average and the 10-year average. And I was going, I was screaming, I was screeching. I wasn't even singing like a canary. I was screeching by that point, but nobody was interested. Nobody would listen. I was the crazy one. Uh, anyway, at that point, I realized, right, enough is enough. It's time to help um, remove children from schools because for me, the reason everybody listened to the television, the tell a lie vision, and what I call the effement, uh, the mm -mm government, um, rude word government, they are listening to that and are obeying that because of the compliance training in schools. Almost everybody has been through some sort of schooling and you're taught to follow the rules, be quiet, do as you're told, truth comes from authority and all kinds of dangerous messages like that. And people are punished when they challenge authority in school and they're praised when they obey authority in school. And all I could see was all of these compliant sheeple doing exactly what the tell a lie vision told them, regardless of how crazy it was. So here in France, they were being told to, um, if, if you're in a restaurant, if you enter a restaurant, you have to wear a muzzle. But if you sit down at a table, you, you can take it off. But if you get up to go to the toilet, you have to put it back on again. So I'm like, well, well is this convid disease um this flu or whatever it is is it heightest then as i'm five foot one I'm, I'm about the height of somebody sat down so does that mean i don't need to wear one at all now you can't there was no logic no logic behind it and, and what struck me was my goodness the reason that people aren't born asleep children are awake children are very awake and aware and they ask lots of really weird questions like mom why is the sky blue mm. dad is the sun really a ball? How come we can't see the ball? They, they ask really interesting questions. And as adults, we often like fob these questions off because we think, oh, well, science has sorted that out, dear. Actually, no, hang on a minute. These are really interesting questions. Maybe we should listen to the children more sometimes. And uh, it, it occurs to me that children are being deliberately put to sleep, systematically put to sleep in schools. Their creativity is being crushed, their, their curiosity, their hunger and desire to learn. And for me, I thought, right, OK, I, I've got to help people home educate. I need, I need to teach people how to educate to a professional standard in the home. 
and make it enjoyable and give give the child all the things they need to have an individualized curricula. Uh, so, for example, if you have two children in your house, you will have two curricula. And I, I show people how to put that together, uh, the, how to sniff out good resources versus bad resources and all of that sort of thing. So what, what I'm doing effectively, I've built I've built a membership site. And I've converted the uh, the GCSE maths app and I, I've brought, I've made it bigger now. It now works for primary school students. It works for secondary school students and it will grow probably for the rest of my life as I find more and more problems with how things are taught in mathematics in particular. But essentially, I, I put, um, I've called it Gorilla Ed guerrilla education because what we need to do now is, is to educate our young people properly if we give them a real education rather than allowing them to be indoctrinated by the state then they won't line up for their clock shots and they won't wear their compliant sheep or muzzles some of these people will go hang on a minute i think i might just go and look at some studies on um the wearing of masks in non-pharmaceutical settings that might be a, a good place to start to see if this is if this has legitimacy of course the duty of every citizen is to, is to is to be as well read alert and aware as you can you're supposed to hold the state to account not do what they say blindly and i think it's been lost somewhere that you know social responsibility is some sort of is now equivalent to obeying whatever the state or the television tells you that's that's not what being a good citizen is that's not social responsibility at all that's the antithesis and that, for me i just can't see another way of um, enabling more and more people to retain their uh, creativity retain their sovereignty and to ensure that their their children are not not being handed over to moloch every morning at 9am. I know it looks like Miss Honey welcoming your child at the door, but you have no idea what's going on inside that classroom for the, re the next five to eight hours a day, every day, five days a week. They're with your children more than you are. That's not good. That That, that is dangerous. And I, I firmly believe that what we saw during the pandemic, the, the behaviour, the, the sickening compliance the sycophantic and fanatic, fanatical way in which people who didn't wear masks were attacked, that comes from a, I, I firmly believe that that comes from schooling. That doesn't come from education because if you are educated, you, you can pick up any, you can go and read a meta study on the CDC website, which tells you that number one, masks have no, um, perce um, no perceivable difference for mask wearers and non-mask wearers. It doesn't make a difference in terms of uh, uh, contracting or passing on disease or, ra or rather wearing a mask actually is more likely to make you ill it does yeah for other reasons of course uh, you know bacterial pneumonia and um, uh, de uh, depreciated or decreased oxygen levels which is extremely dangerous for everybody but especially people with respiratory issues like asthma and for children whose brains are still literally not cooked yet the brains are still growing they need they need maximal oxygen intake uh so yeah it was a, a really um uh, it's, it's been a it's been a whirlwind. You can probably hear it in my voice. It's been a whirlwind of a, a two and a half, three years for me. But it's been it, it's kind of galvanized me. I, I knew that I was supposed to do something and I hadn't quite figured out yet what it was. And then it hit me in the face, you know, fully in, in the early part of 2020. And I all of my experiences in the classroom versus my experiences in sport. And I've, I have a bit of a, a theatrical background as well. All of those things kind of combined and, and showed me that my goodness this is this is what you're supposed to be doing you need to if we're going to change anything it's not signing petitions it's not going on marches it's not um writing a letter to you i'm sick of writing letters to mps you get a stock response and they're not, they're not damn well interested they're interested in representing themselves and keeping their seat and staying in their party they're not bothered about what what the electorate thinks and we've known that for a, for quite some time probably since danny bamping i think it was danny bamping who created the none of the above party and 
Tony Blair had to go and change electoral law to ban any party from being called the none of the above party. <laughs> well, doesn't that strike you as odd? In a liberal Western democracy, why are you not allowed to call your political party the none of the above party? Why is that? Why would that be? And I, fr- from l- learning these things, it, it, it all points to the same stuff. They, they put your children in a school because they want you to vote. They don't care who you vote for. They just want you to vote because you're voting for the same crony, crooked system that has been in place for goodness knows how long now. And many of the people who are actually involved in the government are literal crooks. And we've seen that. We, we see it time and again. And yet we seem to have amnesia every time you know, the, the vote comes around again. And I, you know, I think Danny Bamping was certainly onto something there with the none of the above party. I bet that the reason Tony Blair, in my opinion, got that name banned was because he was afraid it would win. And what does that say? What you know, you, you see all of these things during election time, like um, th- that, that meme that goes around, uh, doesn't matter who you vote for, you'll still get a Muppet, a picture of the Muppets. And there was that brilliant Burger King advert I don't like Burger King. There are much better places to get yourself a burger. But they had that wonderful advert on the side of a London bus, a big red bus. They parked it outside Parliament, I think, Parliament Square, somewhere like that. And it said, another whopper on the side of the bus must be election time. Words to that effect. I thought that was fantastic. So we all know it's an open an open joke. It's an open secret that our um, parliamentary system, our electoral system is completely bent. It doesn't work. And yet here we are. And why do we keep voting for it? Because we keep handing our children over to the schools who they reinforce that the government's the good guys. We never learn in schools about the Iraq war. Isn't that funny? We, we never learn about the fact there were no WMDs. We don't learn about what the English did to the Irish during the, the Tater famine and all of all of these. We never ever learn about the uh, ills and the dangers of a, a rogue a, a state behaving in a rogue manner. We in schools, we learn about we're the good guys. You know, we, we liberate people, we save people. And it's dangerous. It's it's a, it's propaganda. I think Tom Woods puts it best. He, he makes uh, an analogy between uh, putting your kids in state schools, government owned schools, government paid for schools is, is equivalent to sending your letting your kids go to um, Walmart, a school sponsored by Walmart every day for 10 or 13 years. Well, no wonder they're going to come out loving Walmart. Walmart taught them geography. Walmart taught them algebra. Walmart gave them a chance to play in a school football team. Yay, let's all vote for Walmart. And I think I think if we started seeing indoctrination centers, they're not education centers, they're indoctrination centers. I think if we started seeing the uh, the branding on the side of it, you know, sp- sponsored by the UK government, I think that would actually start more cogs turning in people's minds. For me, it's uh, a, co- a complete bafflement whereby you get lots of very highly intelligent, highly articulate people and so, such as you interview regularly on your podcast, guys, I, I've listened to a few um, of yours over the weekend. You get these bright, intelligent people who are very aware that big pharma is dangerous, big food is dangerous, politics is bent. Um, who knows what's happening in the markets? Who knows what's happening behind closed doors at these big corporations? And yet they still hand their children over to these indoctrination centers every morning. That is is cognitive dissonance 101. What are we doing? Well, well ha, 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 yeah, sorry. That's that, I think that's got to be the record on the State of the Markets <laughs> podcast for the longest single running answer to a question, because I think we're probably getting close towards 20 minutes. But uh, so so perhaps we could unpack some of this and ask some questions in between. But Sarah, thank you for, for sort of uh, Sort of laying out your stall and as to where where you are and and what's happened. Um, Sorry, I, I, I was briefly away. Could you repeat that, Sarah? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, look. For example, I, I, first of all, I just wanted to go back to what was it that caused you to not be 
or, or well, to, I'd buy to, into the narrative. Well, well, no, no. I wanted to ask why. Why did you come out of the school in the first place? If later on your uh, results were so good, I, I'm just. I was just curious as to you was because. You was, you can only make you can only make so much difference if you're teaching in a school you might be able to help a hundred children maybe even a thousand children a year if you're teaching all of the time with very large classes i would say influencing several hundred children a year is is probably your maximum reach and i i don't think that's good enough i don't think that was good enough but the you, work that yeah, i was doing sorry but you were, with- yeah that wasn't what i meant you, you said right at the top that you you were you decided that because children didn't know maths in the correct way. Actually, if a year 11 doesn't know plus and minus and negative numbers, there's a problem in their primary school teaching. And that is something that they're taught. So they should know that something's gone wrong. Let's put that to one side just for a moment. But you were saying that you left school because your teaching showed up some form of problem and they decided that they didn't want you to teach there. I I just couldn't couldn't work out what that meant. Oh, no, they begged me to stay. Absolutely oh. not. I had I left because um, there, there was two things. Number one, they are not teaching children in schools. They're, they're not educate. They're not making attempts to educate children. Some people think they are. So I'm not saying all teachers are bad people. They believe that they're educating children. But if you actually analyse what they're doing, it's not working. It's absolutely not working. Okay. The, okay. So, that, uh, so one yeah. thing that. Go on. Yeah. So sorry. Sorry. Just because otherwise it will it will be a very very long podcast. Because I, I was just asking about that specific part. I was sure that you said that, that they didn't like your data, and then you then you later what? on talked about yeah. something else about how you did actually come out with some very good results. And, uh, yeah. And that, there's two things there. Number one, I was talking about the good thing was the GCSE results, which is king. In a, in a school, you're judged by your A star to C's in English and mathematics. So if if you're if you can make D grades into C grades, like I could. The, the the quintessential burger flipper d to c d to c d to c then you are worth your weight in gold and I, I was getting tapped up by lots of schools i was being taken out for dinners because and wined and dined because people wanted me to switch to their school um on the other hand they didn't like my study of special educational needs students because i was on the verge of proving that having teaching assistants in the classroom actually does not make progress for children with special educational needs and that is a big problem because there's a huge industry uh, based around children with special educational needs and um, it's it well it in my opinion it's it's malign it's not based on uh, credible evidence it's based on emotion it's based on people who the people who write the studies and the people who conduct the studies are the ones who want the money for the special educational needs unit so it's not done by impartial people and I was quite I didn't I wanted to know why these children had teaching assistants sat next to them in my classroom because all I could see was that it actually interfered with the teaching and learning and it didn't work and crucially it didn't work these children got no better outcomes and that's why they didn't that's why I got some heat because they didn't like they didn't like that I was using uh, real studies in the classroom with real children uh, and they didn't like what the data was saying so they they, they wanted me to stop doing that uh, but th- that wasn't part of my job it was just something I was doing as a hobby whilst you know whilst I was te- teaching in my classroom it's something I was curious about so there was no there was, I could have stayed and done whatever I wanted but there was no there was you know, no way I was going to do that because I realized that well it's all crooked you're, you're not uh, helping these children uh, pass exams and you're also not teaching them for their life you're sitting a teaching assistant next to them and letting them basically do it for them or 
help them really nice. And so the child feels nice, but they're not actually making any progress. And that that was that's something that you can't talk about. That's taboo. And, you know, I get a lot of heat to this day when I start talking about special educational needs. And a lot of it's political. A lot of it's not even real. Some of it is there are certainly children with special educational needs. That is obvious. You can see it many, many times. It's right in front of your face. But the, the other side of it is there's an awful lot of people who are being included or being given a statement of special educational needs because it's financially advantageous to that school or that special educational needs department within that school. And it's it's not, it's actually harming children because once you tell them there's something wrong with them, they then start to behave as though there's there's something even worse wrong with them. This it kind of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's it's yeah, it's it's tragic. But again, that's something you're just not allowed to you cannot talk about that in educational circles. It's completely taboo. What do you think distinguishes between the people who, to use the word, uh, were awake fairly soon after this uh, predicament began, versus those people who who are still asleep. What do you think? What do you think is the difference between them? I think the difference between them is uh, many of them have experienced real hardship or serious physical and or psychological pain in their in their uh, previous lives, and I say that because Professor Gloria Moss has been studying it. She's been handing out surveys and trying to figure out why some people bought the narrative from the fake news media. Uh, Well, that's what I call the the legacy media or the mainstream media. Uh, If you did, if you didn't buy the fake news media narrative, why didn't you? And it it would seem that a lot of the people who didn't buy it have actually had some very uh, bad experiences in their in, in, in their life. Things that they've had to serious adversity, real adversity, not somebody misgendering you or forgetting your damn pronouns. But, you know, real, real life adversity where you might have lost a leg in a motorcycle accident or you might have, um, you know, lost your father when you were very young or something like that. It would seem that, you know, the, the data indicates that that's the, that's the reason for it. That's the, it's a strong, at least a strong contributory factor. In terms of education, um, you, you were saying about the way that some teachers teach maths and, and they don't teach it correctly. And the thing about today, it's like when I was at school, we had textbooks and the teacher, if the teacher was crap, you were stuffed. There wasn't a lot you could do unless you went to a library and tried to learn it yourself. Now, when I'm trying to help my, my kids with stuff, I can learn around a subject. I can take a course. I can look on YouTube. There's there's plenty of other places. In fact, some of the schools actually link to uh, what's it called, Hegarty Maths, where they go through various um, problems and, and they teach you sort of how to, how to solve them. Isn't all of this, once you've educated your child in the fact that you're learning to pass an exam, and that's very different from actually learning to fulfill a job or to think independently and to be a critical thinker. Those two are completely separate things. You're still having to get your child through the education system to get that certificate at the end so they've got the options to do what they want. You can't actually take them completely out of the education system and teach them whatever you want because that, that that's not allowed. So... It actually is. You don't have to take. There is no law that says you have to take GCSEs and A levels. And actually, I've I've had loads of jobs where I didn't even have any GCSEs or A levels because I was too young. And yet they gave me the job because I was articulate, I was smart, I was funny, and I would turn up on time and I was polite. And that very often people in life will give you lots of opportunities because, uh, particularly if you're articulate, particularly if you present well, um, they will give you those 
chances, regardless of what certificates you have or you don't have. There is no law that says you have to take any any exams at all. In fact, um, as long as your child is having a full time sufficient um, what do they say? They say full time. Your, the education of a child must be full time. It must be efficient and it must be suitable. <laughs> that, that's that's the law. That's that's the Education Act. Yeah, that's but you it. but you but you were saying before, like why do you? I mean, I've got kids, right? So I can I can talk very much about how you know I might not like what's being taught at school, and I try to counteract that where I can. But you know, for me to be at home to teach my kids all day long means that I can't earn an income. So how am I supposed to who do says that? It takes, who says it takes all day long? To te- if, if, you re- if you break down what happens in a school, you get about five or six classes a day. Um, of that, they're supposed to be maybe 45 minutes or an hour. Let's say they're an hour. Let's be generous. Well, 15 minutes of that time is completely wasted because children change classrooms, particularly in secondary schools. So they're going up the corridor, down the stairs to the next room. They queue up outside. The teacher lets them in. They stand behind their chairs. They get their pencil cases out. They take their coats off. They sit down. Then the equipment gets handed out. Then the register gets taken. Then there's a problem because so-and-so has to go and see so-and-so in another room because something happened at break. There is huge amounts of it. There's this misconception around, oh, I haven't got time to educate my kid for five to eight hours a day. Nonsense. It doesn't take five to eight hours a day. You can provide a much better education for your children in under two hours per day if you do it properly. And the two hours per day thing pertains to reading, writing, arithmetic, morality and articulation. It shouldn't be three hours. It should be five. Articulation is very important. And it's something that's only really properly addressed in private schools these days. The, the opportunities for your child to learn to be articulate, to stand up and speak in front of others, giving speeches, doing assemblies, doing um, shows, pantomimes, whatever, have been squeezed and decreased. And that's also deliberate because if you're not if, if your son or daughter doesn't learn to um, stand up and, and, and risk being embarrassed in front of lots of other people, then how are they going to tell that goon at Tesco's that they're not wearing a mask and walk in anyway? They're not going to have the courage to do that. That's why those things are not being taught. So first first off, it, it, you can actually educate your children properly in terms of all the fundamentals, reading, writing, arithmetic, morality and articulation in under two hours per day. And then, and then, and then who looks after free. your 11-year-old child all day long then? And um, will the government allow you to, to look after, to actually just teach them for two hours a day? Of course, because it, they're not only learning for two hours a day, because then for the rest of the day, they get to do the things that they're interested in. So perhaps your son is uh, a talented cartoonist like Bob Moran. Perhaps he um, spends you know two or three hours on his own in the afternoon r- creating his cartoons, drawing, practicing, getting better. Call He's of Duty, I think, is probably what he'd be doing. It, really? Well, <laughs> goodness me, I wouldn't allow computer games in my house. Not a chance. Um, not well, on your nilly. I don't. I don't see. I don't see a problem with computer games um, because there, there's a lot actually that's positive about them in terms of spatial recognition, speed of thought. Um, you, you know, thinking about I using got that resources. From sports. I got that from sports, but also, aren't what? you afraid of the metaverse? Aren't I'm af- am I af- afraid of the metaverse. What do you mean? Yeah. Aren't you afraid that your children are going to end up spending their life uh, living in their second life in the metaverse? Have you seen uh, Mark Zuckerberg's well, right? Yeah, I know what it is, but but there isn't a metaverse for them to be for me to be afraid that they spend time in it. And if they were spending too much time in it, I'd I'd regulate it. But I, I don't I don't see I know a lot of people what about who play. When they get older, they make. What about when they get older and they make their own choices? Perhaps they want to spend like five six hours a day playing, you know, in in games like Second Life or whatever. So, other some people do. They make a fortune out of esports. 
But do you think that's do you think that's healthy? Do you is, think that's is, good? Is think it unhealthy? I mean, they train. They they, they staring they... at a screen five or six hours a day. I would say so. I don't even do that in my work. Yeah. I make sure that you know, learning, teaching outside, doing as much as I can to 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 do something in the real world for real and help real people. Yeah, but you see, this like, is this because. But you're making a value judgment there because you don't like it. So because you can't see the advantage of it in the same way that people people a long time ago. Hang on, just let me finish. People a long time ago didn't said that calculators were were evil and you shouldn't use them. And this is the end of humanity. I mean, yes, there will be people that do everything to excess. There are people who watch too many films. There's people who who will obviously eat too much. There's people who drink too much. There's people who will have well, lots of different vices. But from my experience of speaking to other parents who, who have children who play games, they go through this phase of playing games and then it passes. Then they find girls, then they find their passion in life. And as long as you've actually spent time with them as human beings and, and don't treat them as though you're using technology to not spend time with them, which I think is is something that parents do. But to be fair, I can understand it as well, because if you've got very busy parents who don't have time, they they fall into that trap and it's very hard to get out of it. But, you know, that's not excusing it. I'm just saying it happens. Um, th- then in, in the end, they come out the other side and they're absolutely fine. They, they, they have the ability, like my daughter can revise and... Um, she can write something whilst actually listening to either music or watching something. They they have developed skills that are completely different to ours. I can't do that. I don't know anyone my age who can do it, but they can. So they, they, they're de- developing different skills as we speak, and we might not understand it or appreciate it, but it kind of works for them. But the, the, these problems, you talk about the metaverse, it doesn't exist at the moment, so let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, when it comes to education, as far as I'm concerned, I want my kids to get results that give them the opportunity, but I explain that that's not the be all and end all. They could leave school without any results and still be very successful, but they may as well try and do their best and see what doors it can open. Because in my view, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't do a job if they get an education. What you're saying about having a nice personality and turning up to Goldman Sachs and saying, will you give me a job? They probably wouldn't give you a job, but you know, because you need an education, but you might be able to get, you might be able to get into somewhere else and, and work your way up, which is definitely possible. It was more possible in my time than it is in our time now. I think people look more, employers look more at exams now than they ever have. But there are different, there are definitely different ways to be successful, and that's not kind of limited to an education, a, a state education. I completely understand that. But it's all, it's also, you know, what you're, you're, from what I understand, what you're doing is you're teaching people to pass the exams as part of state education. So that certainly not, certainly not. That's not. I'm, I'm that, a real teacher. My my whole my whole philosophy is that the, the child should be placed at the centre of the education, which is not what the state system does. The, chi- the, the schools are only focused on uh, exam results because that's how they get money. That's how they get more students the next year and the next year and the next year. The whole focus in schools is not on education. It's on passing exams yeah. and indoctrinating you into voting for the state. Let's come back on the calculator thing. I'm a GCSE mathematics examiner. I mark the... Um, higher tier non-calculator paper. So what that means is uh, I get a random selection of roughly 18,000 questions a year that I mark. And what do I see? I see 
are an absolute huge percentage of students who cannot multiply 16 by three. They can't, this was one of this, this was part of one of this year's questions. I, I work for the largest exam board in the country. I'm an expert examiner. And what I learned, what I saw this year was absolutely abysmal, abysmal. The handwriting is illegible on average. Children cannot do simple things 16 times three with pen and paper. Now, are we saying that the, the, the invent of the calculator has nothing to do with that? Are we saying that the fact that we use technology all the time is it hasn't contributed to that? I don't think so. I think I think clearly that students in years gone by found didn't find these things difficult at all. I've been marking for about 10 years now and you can I witnessed the decline in educational standards every single year. This year's GCSEs 2022. What, what kind of percentage do you think would be appropriate for a grade C? What what, what should a pass be? What, what what kind of percentage would you think would be reasonable? About 40%, I would have thought. Yeah, it was 16, 1, 6, 16%. That's what you needed for a level four, which they are claiming is a standard pass. It's disgusting. And even, even the level five, the one above, which is the, the good pass, which uh, is, supposed, is the old grade C, is 30, 33%. What do you reckon an A is worth? Well, what should an A be? Well, the, uh, an A should be over 80%, I would have thought. But yeah, 50, it's 50 odd. It's yeah. 50 odd percent. 56, 53, 55, depending on the year. year and, and the exams now are nothing like as difficult as they were in the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s. How do I know? Download the papers off the internet. Just look. Just get the papers and look. I, so, I, I've absolutely no doubt about. I mean, we've talked about this before on the show. I have absolutely no doubt about that. And there's there is data that goes back to you know the Harvard entrance exam for about hundred years ago for whatever it was, and it was definitely much harder. I'm not I'm not not denying any of what you're saying. I'm just saying in general terms, you, you, I mean, you're still working in the education system where people are taking state exams and you're helping them pass the state exams no, as no, no. well. No, no, you, you misunderstand. Not, that's not, no, no. No? No, no. If they, if they wish their children to, many of the people I work with generally home educate. I run guerrilla education. Okay. This is not an extra. This is not an add-on for after school. This is for people who've taken their children out of schools because they know what the damage that's being done. We haven't even got onto the psychological harms and all the all the rest of it that's going on in schools. Um, but just on an education level, um, if you look at the uh, the home the home education section, the an awful lot of those people who home educate do better, not just in national exams, but they do better across the board. Okay, can so I just stop you Stop you there, just please? Yeah, yeah. so sorry, I, I'm confused. It's probably just me. Maybe I haven't been educated properly. But when you say you're not part of the education system, you're confusing me because you're saying you're marking exams that are part of the education system and these people are taking state exams. So I think... Yeah, that, that's, I'm, that's something... That's something I do to keep an eye on what's going on in the system, isn't it? That's not that's not what that's not what I do day to day. That what, what we mark exams once a year. We mark them in the summer. That's something I do as a freelancer, something to keep my hand in and make sure I can see what's going on. So when I tell parents, when I show parents that their child can't do 16 times three, they don't believe me. I have to take screenshots of the papers and show them that look, this this is where we're at. This is a you know across the country we have a re we have a serious uh, problem in, in academics. And that's the one thing that the schools are supposed to be doing is maintaining high academic standards. We're not. If you look at the PISA scores, we're through the floor. We're, as, as a country, we're, re we're struggling even compared with other nations who are probably having similar difficulties to ourselves. I've not heard it's, of the PISA scores. What are they? 
we are we were something like third from bottom in mathematics it's it's unbelievable maths and english we are we are tanking compared with with other nations but if, if, got- if your child can't do 16 times three at the appropriate age as a parent you should know that yeah you should i mean I you would have agree. had that fed back to you in various no, no, meetings with school no, you wouldn't because we, we have a phrase called making expected progress we say we say oh, your son or daughter's doing well there, they're making expected progress. And what? But you have to ask, well, whose expectations and how is that calculated? So, for example, when, when we're calculating um, predicted grades at GCSE, and we, we predict these from quite young, so in year seven, we put a load of data into the computer that's to do with the SAT scores in year six. Sometimes we give them exams when they enter in year seven, depending on the school and, and the philosophy. We add all this information into the computer. We look at things like, has this child been on free school meals? Is this child currently on free school meals? Has this child been on free school meals in the past? And that information is is you is crunched by a computer, some sort of algorithm. And that spits out what the child, what grade the child should achieve at GCSE. Then so long as your child is tracking that progress, it could be a D. Your child might go into school in year seven and all of the, the data gets crunched and their predicted grade in maths is a D, D for donkey, right? D for fail. It's awful. So then what we do is we, as long as that child is on course to get that D, we're, we're off the hook as educators. We're told, oh, that's, yeah, we're making expected progress. So we're telling parents, I've, I've done these parents' evenings. I've been, I've been sat in them when I was being trained as a teacher. I sat and watched this parent uh, um, be told that their son was making expected progress and she was pleased as punch her son was a little bit of a, a rogue I quite liked him but he was, he was a bit of a, a bit of a terror in the classroom but he was making expected progress but sadly that expectation was an E an E right. at GCSE and I don't think the parent well the parent clearly mustn't have understood that because who wants their child to get an E at GCSE like I, I couldn't and it's I had a I sat there like not really understanding what was going on I had to go home and think about it this was the night I was still a trainee at the time. I was learning how to give uh, parents evenings and I was horrified. I was like, I thought, well, but that parent's gone home thinking that everything's fine. And it's not that kid's on course to, make, to get an E. But like, aren't schools very good. variable, though? And, and couldn't this have been an isolated incident? Oh, yeah, of course it could. But I've worked in 12 different schools over um, many years. And also with regards to marking exams, I I. I Oh, I must get over hundreds of schools in the ten years that I've been marking. And so they, I'm they're all the same. You're saying they're all like this, where you just they will not tell you that your your child's going to get an E, but they'll just say you've got expected. You're you're making expected progress, which is terrible. But that's what we expect of this child, and we're not going to tell you any more about it until they actually take their GCSEs and fail them. And they go, well done. That's what we thought you get. Lots of teachers are quite nice. So if you're quite nice, um, what? Would you want to have a, a, a confrontation? Are you comfortable with confrontation? Do you, do you want to sit there? Because the parent is going to react badly when they learn that little Johnny's on for an E at GCSE. Do, do you want to take that on? Are, are you going to sit there depends when, when you, you start. legitimately say? If you start at the again? beginning of their education and you see that they're slipping, it doesn't happen immediately. It happens over time, doesn't it? So they, they get their expected grades at the start of their education and if they start to slip lower and then you'd say look um they need to do more work in this this expectations and e at the start but as it is for many children because if if the well if you take the bell curve that this is the problem particularly in a subject like mathematics where there's not really any argument well certainly at gcse there's no argument about what the answer is or what the acceptable allowable answers are so you're, you're always going to get 
um, a, you know, a, a pretty even distribution. You're going to get them, you know, you're going to get what you'd expect to get. So you do have students, sadly, that come in in year seven and they're predicted E's and D's and F's and sometimes even lower than that. And as long as they are performing in the class and during assessment and for homework at that level, or, or they will be or, or they're performing in a way that suggests they will attain that level at the end of the five years, say, if you're in secondary school, that's allowed. You're allowed to say or you're supposed to say even it's encouraged to say, yeah, making expected progress. If you look at the charts behind the scenes, all of those students who, who are making expected progress, even if that expectation is an E or a D, are in green for like, oh, this is good. Uh, the children who are slipping below that, say you're on for a D and you're operating at an E, that children would go amber. That child would be amber on, on the sheets, on, on the um, spreadsheets that we use or on the system. It depends which school you're in. But they're all they're all using this this similar algorithm, which includes things like, have you have you been on free school meals? I mean, is is that a really good way to predict outcomes for children? And we know from things like sport uh, that if you say that, oh, this is your target, then people generally hit on or around it. They rarely exceed it by um, by a great margin. So oh, aren't we limited? It isn't a target in, in some ways, like um, a backhanded limit as well on on the on the potential on the potential of that student. I think it's a horrible thing to label a student as an E grade student when they walk in at year seven. So they're eleven years old, and and you're saying at the start you've got five years to help this person. And yet we're, we're saying, oh, an E is acceptable because that's expected progress based on what they've done in primary school, based on the scores they got in their SATs or whatever. Isn't that isn't that dangerous? Isn't that a terrible way to to run an education system? What education systems around the world do you most admire who you think have got it right? I don't think anybody has. I think the answer is to educate our own. In the United States, before um, school schooling became compulsory, we used to have a they used to have over there a literacy rate of ninety five percent, and that was because the Presbyterians, uh, the the deeply religious people, were very frightened that if their child couldn't read the Bible, they might go to hell, and they they really believed that, and therefore literacy was extremely high. Well, well, since there was a quite a big struggle in many states in America over the uh, whether compulsory schooling should be allowed or not. And what happened was um, they, uh, they eventually the, the government won and uh, schooling became compulsory. And since then, they have never, ever returned to the dizzy heights of 95% literacy. It's, or if, you, if you read John Taylor Gatto, he also talks about, uh, he, he says he's read studies where students can actually acquire the fundamentals of reading and writing and, and arithmetic naturally they, they can they can acquire it um in the in the evenings after working on the farm all day he said this stuff has you know happened for for, for generations and that's why there's such a great hoo-ha in the united states when they forced finally forced compulsory education everywhere and like i said since then they've never made it they've never made it back to the the standards that they had already so we're not making anything better we're actually make, we've we've made things worse and what it's become it's become a crash it's become a place to ditch your kids so you can go and earn money and i appreciate the pressures it's not like I don't understand financial pressure. My father was a dustbin man. I was born in a council flat, right? So it's not it's not as if I don't get it. It's not as if I've never had money problems. My goodness me, the exact opposite is true. But um, I can see that we, it's, it's a swizz. We've been conned. You know, ch children learn so much. Parents get frightened when, when they decide they're going to teach their own children. They say, oh, I'm not a professional teacher. Good. 
that's a good thing. You, you can learn some of the skills of a professional teacher that might be useful to you, but at least you won't have any of the, the baggage or the indoctrination of the, 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 tr- the teacher training that you go through, which is abysmal, by the way. Um, I always say to mums and dads, you're your son and daughter's first teacher. The first skills that your child learn, they'll have learned them from you. So what about a, holder, a spoon, for example? So what about the sort of joys of university life and that that sort of, uh, from what I understand, um, Tim, I, I appreciate your input here. Isn't that part of, it's not just the education, isn't it? It's just part of the experience. And isn't also that part of it as well, actually being in school, meeting other kids, making friends for life or, or not, as the case may be? How many friends do you have from when you were at high school? that you're still regularly, like, properly in touch with, that you would ring up if something happened and you have to tell them? Um, a, f- a few, a few, a handful. Yeah, one, two, three. Yeah, something like okay. that. But, but still that. still very valuable friendships, I would Maybe say. so, but they perhaps weren't based on the fact that, you know, maybe they're based on interests that you share. Maybe, maybe it, you are interested in the same sports or the same computer games Not or really. the same... Not really, but... Okay, uh, fair enough. So what's the, what's the real question? Do, do you, are you asking about how to socialise children who don't go to school? No, the, that wasn't that wasn't the real question. The real question was you are you are actually socialising. Isn't that part of your education? Um, well, no, because I would say socialising is for social time. Uh, if you're in my classroom, you're not socialising, you're learning because I want you to get the best results you can get and I want you to get learn as much mathematics as possible so that when the government try and show you dodgy charts, you can figure out that they're not real, that they're cumulative frequency rather than um, a, a frequency polygon. But, like you, but you I, learn I more rather... at school when, when, when you're dealing with people. So, for example, they uh, my daughter's school and my son's school they do these things where you know they tease you or they roast you so it teaches you social skills to actually defend yourself to be quick on your feet and actually deal with learn to deal with people who are difficult learn to deal with people who are maybe vulnerable and and help them you know you you learn you learn a lot by interacting with people if you don't have that that part of your life then I'm, home educated I'm, children. This is this is a complete mis- misconception. You're you're presuming that home educated children don't interact with other children, and other I'm, adults. I, they I'm do not. This all I'm the, just saying they don't in the go, same way. I'm I'm not saying uh, that they don't. I'm just saying that it's it's different when when you've got, you know, a classroom of well, you've got a school of people in a playground. You're actually not. It's not just you. It's also all the other years and the the older kids and the younger kids, and you're sort of mixing together. So. That, that's obviously not what you get when you're home educated. And I'm not saying that you don't mix. I'm just saying that you don't get that. Is that, hang on, that's not true. Is that really true? In my experience in the playground, young children do not, in, in the secondary school, you hang out in your year groups. You don't, young children don't go and hang out with year 11 children. That's not, that, that is. No, that's no, not. no, they don't hang out with them, but they do, they are, they do see them and they are. I mean, sometimes well, home, bullied by them, for example. Home educated, not, well, yeah, that's that's another that's another side that's of another it, isn't thing. it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm just saying, <laughs> but also I'm just thinking beyond that. If you if um if you home educate your your child and they don't have official qualifications, then you could potentially miss out on on going to university. Which hang on a second, that's whoa, hang on again. That's another. That's not true. Home educated children do take qualifications if they wish to. They right. in fact they out they generally outperform children who uh, who go to school. Home educated mm. children, you get you get these 
groups of families who end up with straight level nines. And it's often home educated children take their exams a year, some of their exams a year early. There's a, a huge culture of taking some exams in year 10 and some exams in year 11 amongst the home education community. So th there's, there's absolutely no reason uh, why home educated children would underperform compared with children who go to school. In fact, the inverse is true because they get more one-to-one -one attention. Yeah, and we yeah, know no. one-to-one attention is king because oh. of the uh, studies like the Pygmalion study, whereby a group of children in a classroom, their names were put in a hat and secretly drawn at random, uh, uh, 10 of them were drawn at random. And the teachers of, of, the, of the children of this whole class were told that these 10 children had unusual gifts, had had some sort of special uh, we were very excited about the academic prospects of these children. In reality, these, these kids' names have been pulled out of a hat. And what happened was, as they studied these children, uh, they, the, 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 pe the um, teachers in the classroom were paying these children extra attention because they knew that they had a great responsibility because this child was gifted, or so they were told. And what happened was, those children who were, the, the, the teachers were told were gifted ended up uh, overachieving, they were smarter, they were um, more engaging, happier, they, all, this, all this other stuff came out. And indeed, those children overperformed what they were expected to do. And it was based on it was based on that one to one attention, that love, care and attention that's very, very difficult when you have a classroom full of children. If you've got 30 children, it's very, very difficult even to give a third of them enough attention during an hour's lesson. It's extremely difficult, no matter how good you are, no matter how talented a teacher you are, no matter how fair minded, it's really, really difficult. And to come back on the social stuff, home educated children actually do hang out with children of other ages more so and properly than children in schools because home educated children go to all kinds of hubs centers they go they take walk they go to like forest clubs where they take a walk in the forest with other families so you get adults you get teenagers you get very young children you get babies in prams and they go out and study nature and sometimes they just go walking so there's there's a whole um plethora of, of um, activities and what the home what the parents who home educate tell me they pull their children out of school and they come back and tell me, I cannot believe it. The thing that I was most afraid of was how would my, my child socialize? How would my child? They have better social lives than the children in school because they can do more stuff. You get all kinds of discounts going around the museums and you get groups of home educated people going to the cinema together. There's a whole there's a whole community of, of people doing this all over the country and they're they're enjoying it. They're happy. And what's really interesting is the parents are learning too. The parents are thinking, mm, I'm not sure about this uh, section of English language. I'm going to go and look this up. They're starting to uh, educate and, and, and improve their, their own education and the excitement that comes with that. And when you share that learning with your son or daughter, goodness me, the, 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 the so I've had some of the most amazing things said to me probably in, in, in my life this, uh, this last few years from parents who just are gushing. They cannot believe that they've sometimes they don't like learning themselves. They think, oh, goodness me, we've got to do maths. I hate maths. And they, they end up loving it, that they're learning with their children and realizing that actually they've been, the education that they were sold wasn't very good either. Many of them have realized, hang on a minute, were we supposed to learn this in school? It's like, yeah, we were. Well, I didn't. Yeah, I know that happens. It's, it, you know, it's it's been a wonderful uh, experience for me and, and uh, particularly for them. And I, I'm actually quite jealous of, of when, when I um, had my private teaching practice before I was helping people to home educate. I only had um, uh, I, I started off just with children who were taught in school. So I was like the extra tutor. 
like so I'd teach in the evenings but then I got approached by quite a lot of home educating uh, families and I said sure why not I can I can fit them in at different times and then when I left full-time teaching in the classroom I was able to take on more home educated students and I, I when you when you when you talk to them and ask them you know how, how's it going what did you do last week you get a very different response from from um on average from home educated children than from children who've been in school the school kids look tired they, they, they say, oh, not much. Yeah, you don't. You, on, and I'm not saying it's the same in every single case, but in the lion's share of cases, the children who have been in school all day are knackered. Um, they're not very communicative. They just want to get the lesson done and get the hell out of there. The children who are home educated have got stories about the treehouse they built, about how they cook dinner on Wednesday for mum and dad as part of their, you know, uh, home, what do you call it? Home economics in my day, get told off according to that, food technology course or whatever. And uh, they took pictures of it, you know, and that's part of their uh, coursework and in their cookbook and all of this business and they, they just seem to have so much I'm, I'm bowled away by some of the things that they they come out with of course they can take holidays abroad whenever they wish to go visit family in different countries and learn about other cultures which if you if you try and take your child out of school during term time my goodness me that's that's become extremely strict and very serious in the last few years it's, it's deeply regrettable because in my opinion taking a child to Pakistan for a, a fortnight is, is probably going to teach them a hell of a lot more than they could learn in the classroom in, in Luton is it not yeah I mean what I, what I was saying about um, taking the exams um, I wasn't suggesting that home educated children would have a, a disadvantage in fact I think given the fact that a parent a um, a, a, an active parent would give the best education to their child because of course it's completely tailored to that that child as opposed to a class so that makes for me that makes perfect sense what i was saying is that that, that once you've educated your child to the level of say gcse or sorry a level and then they decide to specialize in something like for example music there is actually a limit to how much you can teach at that specialist subject so if you're not particularly good at say you know music how are you going to teach them at university level um if that's what a, that's the career that they want to take so it has to stop at some point or or you've got to be thinking about their career path and how how they what they might want to do and, and how they have to get there so sometimes it's they they need to they they're in the education system up to a point but but um you you're also i'd like to come back to this point as well because i'm making two points here you're you're saying that I always thought that the problem was what teachers were to were told that they had to teach their our children. So the actual syllabus was wrong, and we should be teaching them other things. It, talking to you it suggests that actually the way that they are being taught the syllabus is wrong. But but that problem there still still stands is when as you go through your education system, it becomes like this funnel where you're getting more and more of a specialist in a single subject, and it starts very broad, but when it starts to get very narrow, that's where I could see a problem with home education. Well, no, because the children are ahead. We, we, we actually funnel them. Early. We, we specialise them in many cases earlier because you don't have to do if, if your son or daughter hates geography, for example. Well, why are you doing it then? You don't have to if you're home educating. You could actually apportion the geography time, say that the two hours a week your son or daughter will be made to do geography at school. You can use that for uh, your career as a, a trumpeter. Perhaps you play the trumpet and you want to play in the Halle. Um, you can have additional private uh, tuition 
because you're you're not tied down to your mathematics lesson or your English lesson at this time and that time in school. So you can actually specialize sooner. Also, if you look at people like Dr. Jordan Peterson, I mean, I'm not being funny, but I probably wouldn't go to any university in the world to go and learn about psychology when I could just be at home and actually learn from one of the most interesting uh, teachers of psychology I, I personally feel in the world he's got his classes online for me to to you know access whenever I want however much I want and I can take my I, I wouldn't say that that's a lower standard of education these are literally his le- his university lectures he videoed them all yeah. and you, you can watch them on YouTube and that's the same with with well literally hundreds of subjects hundreds maybe even thousands I don't I don't know what the limit on that is yeah. but no two, two things we specialize sooner because once you've once you once you've got the basics, once you've got your two hours a day reading, writing, arithmetic, articulation, morality, you've then got all of this additional time to focus on just a handful of subjects that you that the the student really enjoys and or is really good at. And you can dig deeper. You can do a deep dive. You can go and start learning from. There's nothing to stop you. Um, if say you're uh, 13, 14, but you're very, very into your academics. I, there's one girl in particular I'm thinking of actually. Um, who, um, I, I won't talk in too much detail about her because obviously that's that's private. But she, um, she's a really bright, bright girl, very mature for her age, I would say. And she's she's already accessing sort of undergraduate level mater- um, uh, t- um, learning materials online because she's already done. She, she could take her GCSE now. And she's going to wait one more year to ensure she gets a nine, a level nine, the top level rather than an eight. But she's already accessing a higher level of education because she isn't having to do cooking because she's not really interested in, in cooking. She's not being made to do PE four times a week. She actually uh, just she does, does yoga, uh, goes walking and does archery. And, that you know, so she's still doing healthy. And that's another thing. You know, she's at the archery club and that's social as well as sports. So. Th- you're actually able to specialize sooner in, in, in many cases. And it also doesn't preclude you running a business from a young age, which is something that's very difficult if you're in school full time. So you have students who are getting who are learning. There's kids now who are um, in their teens who know way more than I do about um, uh, finance, about economics. And I'm, I'm like, it's because they're interested in it. If your son or daughter has a genuine interest in something, they can, they, they will look, they will teach themselves for hours. They, they will seek out the books. They will seek out the documentaries. They will find these things for themselves, this insatiable curiosity that, that children have if, if you allow them to choose. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to let them choose to not learn mathematics because then we'll get in a mess. We, we, as, you know, if you're going to be a good citizen, you must have uh, good reading, writing and arithmetic as a bare minimum. And I, I would argue morality and articulation need to be in there too. But aside from that, if you then wish to specialise, I, I encourage it. In fact, that's when I build, help a parent build a curricula for their child. That's what we do. We, we, we sit down and, and, and talk about what do they enjoy? What are they good at? What could what could they conceivably do in the future? So I, and I think there's going to be an awful lot more um, private businesses that are set up from from children who, who from a young age who've, who've had who've been home educated because they simply have the time to, to get into these things and it's stuff that you're never ever going to learn in school you're never going to be allowed to I mean how many times have, have you complained that you know we're not we're not taught about um finance we're not taught about how to do tax returns in school we're not taught any of the any of the things that you might need to you must find this all the time in your industry that uh, you know people just have no idea about even how money works right and the trouble is most of those people are actually people from the industry itself, but that's a separate, <laughs> separate topic. <laughs> oh, oh no. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disbelieve you. I've 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 I listen 
I, I do I have a, a partial interest in um, your your area of expertise, and I, I listen to things and I think, well, how do you know that? I I ask awkward questions. You might have noticed. I I have, I have a bit of a why bird in me. I want to know why and why is this and why have you done that? And I I, I, I so much of it seems it, it just seems to be gobbledygook to me or, or or waffle. And I'm thinking, but why is this the case and why hasn't why can't you show me? I'm, I'm always suspicious if you can't show. I always, that's a teaching thing. Show me, don't tell me. Don't of, tell me, show me. One show of me. The, the reasons I was so so looking forward to this uh, discussion today is because one of the, Paul will be aware of this, one of the more intriguing uh, conversations we've had over the years, I think we've been doing this now for what, four years, Paul? Something like yeah. that? Uh, we had a, I, I, I um, make no secret of the fact that I'm hugely into what's called Austrian economics or classical economics, if you prefer. Yes. Um, and we had on a gentleman by the name of Jörg Guido Hulsman, who actually is a professor who teaches economics in France and is, a, a, again, a sort of classic sort of Austrian libertarian. And we asked him, this would be probably three years ago, asked him if he could change anything about the system, what would it be? And I was expecting to get a monetary related answer. And his answer was get government out of education. Which I thought Perfect. was such an interesting, such an interesting response, which clearly chimes with what we're, we're talking about today. Perfect. What what a diamond! I'll have to look that one up. Thank you. That's exactly it. The state gets its power from schooling. The people gets its power from education, real education, the kinds of things that you're talking about on your podcast, where people are thinking, "Oh, I didn't know that." No, of course you didn't know that because we're not supposed to know that. The plebs aren't supposed to know that. That's not that's not information for us. Isn't that why Robert Kiyosaki keeps getting attacked? Or, uh, you know, they, they they shut up, Robert. Stop telling them these things. They're not supposed to know. And that's I, that's exactly it. It's very I suppose dangerous. There's, a, there's maybe a cultural thing, which is that children are uh, sort of given the latitude to ask questions, but adults aren't. It's probably frowned on for adults to be continually asking why, because after a while it does get a bit annoying when you're going, why is this? Because of that. Yeah, but why? And we, we give children that flexibility, but we, we don't allow it to ourselves sometimes. I'm, I'm just going to take a quick uh, change, a radical change in direction. I think we can probably agree, without putting words in your mouth, we can probably agree that there are all, all kinds of things wrong with the, the current world. The politics is broken, the educational system is broken, healthcare is broken, finance is broken. There's, you know, The problems are piling up everywhere. How hopeful or optimistic are you that some of these or many of these or all of these issues will over time get resolved? Uh, if we carry on the way we're going, not at all. I'm deeply pessimistic about it because we're taught we're taught to comply, aren't we? We're taught to be obedient, to be compliant, to not ask too many questions. And ev everything comes out of education. Your psychologist that you go and see, if, if you have a psychologist or a psychiatrist, your doctor, your kids' teachers, everybody goes through the funnel of the schooling system. And until we sort that out, every, literally everything else is screwed because we're viewing everything. Everything is, 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 has gone through that particular sausage factory. And until we, until we address the, the and I don't even think I don't even think if you had a massive overhaul in education now we'd see anything for 10, 20 years. It takes a long, long time to turn around that old stinking ship. It's a complete mess. Yuri Bezmenov warned us of this many, many years ago in, in interviews when he was trying to wake up the US and then Canada. Um, he said, you know, if, if you want to um, dominate another country, then first thing you need to do is teach the teachers. You've got to get in. And, and the, the problem with that, it sounds like it's about education. Well, yeah, because everything comes through there. 
where, where your accountant, well, yeah, they probably they probably went to school, didn't they? Uh, your doctor went to school. Your lawyer probably went to school. Thankfully, more and more people are home educating during the pandemic in the in the United States. I don't have the data for Great Britain. I've asked for it, but I haven't been able to get it yet. In the United States, it went up from two and a half million to five million just during those two years. So thankfully that, that you know, that there is some there is some hope. But I, I think until you, you get all of this, um, what, I, what I would describe as, as cultural Marxism out of the universities in particular, just bear in mind that all of all pretty much all of the teachers go through those universities you know, those universities that are cancelling speakers like you know, Rod Little. I mean, goodness me, Rod Little, dangerous. Are you joking? He's not dangerous. You might not like him, but he's not dangerous. You see, the, you know, Professor Jordan Peterson being cancelled, uh, Professor Gad Saad. I mean, goodness me, he's a Lebanese. He's a Lebanese Jew and he gets cancelled. Um, you know, he gets banned from going to t- talk at, at universities. That is dangerous. And I'm, I'm very frightened because it's, it's an important thing. If, if you're seeing a psychologist, for example, or a psychiatrist that's got to dig inside your head because maybe you're having some trouble or some struggles, which frankly wouldn't be surprising after the last two and a half, three years, would it, for anybody? Well, what happens if they sort of believe that there are 150 genders or 80 genders? Mm. And what, what if they start challenging your masculinity? What if they start saying to you, well, mm, do you not think that your masculinity is a bit toxic? Maybe we should tone that down. Like if you're putting yourself... You're vulnerable when you go to somebody for help, whether it's a lawyer, uh, you know, an accountant. If you're going to somebody, an ex- a so-called expert, and I hate the word expert, if you're going to an expert for some help, you, you are in a position of vulnerability because you're going to them only because you don't know as much as they do. But if they start, you know, digging around, particularly in the field of psychology, I just, I, I'm, I think it's frightening. When you think that all of these people have been through a very, very, very similar system, you're seeing it everywhere with the, with the the LGBTQ flag flying from the universities. I think it was flying at Eton College. Uh, mm. I'm sure I saw that. Um, I think that's very dangerous, I, and and it, it's upsetting that there doesn't seem to be very. Well, I, I can't think of anywhere where you can go where that stuff isn't being pushed. Things like climate change, all of this politics being shoved down your son or daughter's throat and they're, they're, they're the adults and the leaders of the future they're the future psychologists psychiatrists doctors lawyers teachers i i'm i'm pretty i don't want to say black pilled but I, I do worry that if we that, that's why i'm so passionate about education this is dangerous and until we start having real serious conversations about who who's who's in charge of this system and, and where all this stuff is coming from i think we've got problems no matter what industry you're in well i'm minded minded to recall a conversation i had with a guy called sean corrigan 20 years ago and sean is another austrian you'll notice most of my my clients tend to be austrian yes. school fanatics and uh sean's an austrian school economist and i give credit to, to him because he's the first person that introduced me to this phrase uh gramsci's or gramsci's phrase the long march through the institutions I think you can make oh, yes. a very good case today that the reason the world is in such a, a dire stra- state is because the long march has, has met its has met its destination. In other words, the the long march through the institutions, what you called cultural Marxism, is basically complete, and these people are suffused; they they permeate every aspect of the administration now. Yes, Tim, that's it. You've nailed it. That's exactly the problem. That's exactly where we are, and, and you you really put it quite brutally you know we're at the destination yes i think we are i really do i, I see it everywhere it's it's tr- it's tragic and we it's not like we weren't warned we, we were told about this you know we were told over and over and over again and we weren't listening and, and look at where we are now look at what's just happened if, if you want evidence for you know why i think um 
what's just happened over the last few years happened just look at what's the what are the common themes here we've all pretty much been through the schooling system all of us and what are we taught there to comply to be obedient uh, to not challenge authority these are not good lessons these are not these are not good lessons for young people we, we need robust people we need people with a, a strong sense of morality and I, i've even started to look you know look back at the loss of church in people's lives i have a lot of um time for tom woods and I know he's at Austrian School of Economics, and it's only thanks to him I know anything about it at all. But I, I listen to his podcast quite a lot, probably too much, actually. And um, I noticed that in America, there's still, in, in, in huge areas uh, across certain states, uh, a belief in God and, and, uh, and a, a sense of duty that one must go to church on a Sunday kind of thing. And I, I do wonder if, if we haven't actually seriously throwing the baby out with the bathwater on all of that in, in our own country we, we don't we well it's, you, you can see the state of the, the church in, in in the UK you've you had Durham Cathedral uh was it last Christmas or the Christmas before you couldn't go to the to the cer- the Christmas ceremony if you, if you didn't have a vaccine passport or um or you know take a test or whatever like hang on a minute didn't Jesus sit with the lepers like, there's, what, there's, there's also been a, a concerted <laughs> attempt throughout the West to effectively close down the church to, to close down certainly judeo-christian um belief yeah absolutely yeah spot on and i i do i i see that as a as a as a major major problem you know you had that poor um reverend who got thrown out of his um private school where he was uh the chaplain because he made an assembly that said well you don't have to believe that there are 80 gen i think it was 80 genders at the time i'm not very good on that i'm sorry can't keep up with it but he he, he didn't he he wasn't being nasty or critical of um, LGBTQism or whatever it is now. He was just pointing out that if you if you are a, a young girl or guy of faith, it's completely fine. To, you don't have to agree with all of these things. You can be tolerant and polite and kind and respectful, but it doesn't mean that you have to agree. And he got fired. And this is in a school that has a chaplain, and he he was doing his job and giving his assembly. And and that that's worrying, isn't it? Isn't that frightening? I mean, what gives me some degree of uh, hope is that the, to counter the sort of the, the the pessimism that you refer to is, well, I accept there's, there's, there's clearly a very malign great reset going on. At the same time, there's also, a, I'd say, a great awakening that's occurring. And I think in the fullness of, I think someone expressed it a while back, I think it was a pharm- pharmacist in Birmingham, probably about a year ago, or best part of a year ago, but he said, this is the way it works, that every day more and more people are waking up to what's going on. And once you've woken up, you won't go back to sleep. So all that can happen over time is that more and more people are going to wake up. And so the longer this goes on, the more, the greater the numbers of the awakened versus the, uh, the sleepers, the sheeple. So that actually gives me some, some small sense of optimism here. Yeah, every action is an equal and opposite reaction, right? The more the more draconian stuff they do, the more people go, hang on a minute, maybe I need to go and listen to my crazy conspiracy theorist friend over there because weren't they saying this about five years ago? Because but, you clearly yeah. you clearly can't tell people this stuff. They need to get it yeah. under their you know under their own steam, so to speak. But notwithstanding that, you know the the, the people who are still wearing masks, the people who are still getting jabbed. You think if you haven't if you haven't woken up yet, maybe you're never going to. But you can't be taught this if you have to sort of work it out for yourself eventually. I agree. It's it, there's no it's no good trying to wake people up, and that and that's that's the other thing, isn't it? It's it's not just about 
it, many people ask, what what do I do? Okay, I'm awake, but what can I do? What can I do? And, and the top people talk about mass non-compliance. Well, mass non-compliance must start with the individual, right? So how do you not comply? What what can you realistically do that's legal so that you're not, you know, getting, you don't want to get slung in jail, especially if you have children. Um, so you've got to think about what, what are my options? How can I actually resist? Is is talking on podcasts resisting? Well, yes, to some degree it is. is and, it, it and, it, and it has an impact if it, if it helps one person wake up to what's going on. So you, you can never uh, uh, underestimate what's, what's happening yeah. if, if you have the facility to, to share knowledge right. and experience. Yeah. Paul, you, you've been, you've been doing work with together, haven't you? Yes, I've been. Yeah, I've been. On because the... to, to to give you an idea, I, I was at a together event last week at the Conway Hall in um, in Hoban, and this was a thing. I think it was titled "What No Cash," and something that's very close to my heart for a number of reasons. Only some of which are professional. Is the is the attack on the use of physical cash, where they, where they clearly want to bring in some form of sort of central bank digital currency, which will be digital slavery effectively because it'll be programmable money that can be turned on and off on a whim. Um, but I, I suppose the, the 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 way that this could conceivably be checked is it's it's what Gandhi deployed, which is basically peaceful non-compliance. Where, where, where there's a will, there's a way. For sure. But what we have to do is we have to help people understand, like, what does that look like in the real world? Sure. That, the cash thing, but that's, that's education all over again. So we, we sort of come around in a giant circle. In fact, one of the Guerrilla Ed uh, modules, one of the elective modules is about CBDCs. And I've, I've used Richard D. Hall's materials. He's done a little video about why they're not such a good idea. And it's, it's done in a way that perhaps even children could understand. And that's something that, you know, we, we've been learning uh, as, as, as part of the course that I've been teaching. And um, it's it, it's it's fascinating when children realize that oh, because we're never taught what money is and how it works. The idea of that um, being taken away is kind of given people the, the rocket that they needed to think, hang on a minute, we need to, whoa, just a second, we can't get rid of cash, this is dangerous. And it's, it's woken up people to the, to the need to learn about money and means of exchange and why it matters and why having privacy is so important. That, that's something that is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you on the, the cash thing. It's, it's, it's terrifying that, to think that that, that might be gone and, and, and the implications for everything you do then, everything you buy, and um, you, you can be turned down if, if you want to buy, you know, I want to go and buy this and my, my my magic card might say no one day and I can't just take some paper out of my pocket and pay another way. That's it's it's really, really, really frightening. And it's great that people, it, I think it takes the something like that to wake up more people, something that's, that's so dramatic that um, it, it threatens you. And I think that's I think that's I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that I, listening to anyone or any one thing would, would is enough on its own to, to wake you up. I think something bad has to happen to you. I think something something negative or something painful, and, and it's the combination of when something maybe you get screwed over by the government. So when I was 16, they stole my money. Um, I I was uh, I, I worked part time while I was studying for my GCSEs. And they they taxed me, even though I was in full time education and obviously not working um, full time hours or anything like full time hours. And they took all this money off me on an emergency tax code and didn't give it back. And and that was one of the early things that happened to me that made me go, hang on a minute. But that's not very good. I thought the government would give me that money back and I had to fight to get it back. In the end, I eventually did. But I was extremely um, disturbed at how I was only 16. So I didn't really realize how things worked. But I was disturbed that they hadn't 
done the honest thing and the right thing and given it back to me, I was never going to be over the personal allowance in, in that year, given the, the the few number of hours I was able to work a week whilst I was, you know, up in full time education and, and playing uh, county sport as well. I was very busy. I, I was shocked. And it, that that it was that that one. I probably point to that. There's a few other things that happened, too. But that's one thing where I realized that, you know, taking money from me at that age was very um, difficult because I'd come from a very poor background, had a very, very difficult uh, childhood, had a pretty bad start in life. And so when the government, who, who I thought were the good guys, and I genuinely believed it, I thought they were the good guys. They'd given me this education, or so I thought it was an education, um, and that they took the money and, and didn't give it back. And that that I think when something happens to you, so maybe I pray they I pray cash does not disappear I hope enough people are smart enough to hang on to it but if if they did remove that that would wake up an enormous number of people because when they went to buy their fags or whatever and the uh, the magic machine said no you're not allowed any because of your carbon footprint or some other nonsense I think that's I think then that's going to wake up rather a lot more people so on the one hand you know I don't there's, there's particularly cash I'm very that, that is a number one well, I think it's very, very high up on the list of priorities that we have to retain that. It, it's it's crucial. But on the other hand, um, you know, things are going to have to be sacrificed in order to wake up uh, enough people, aren't they? Well, one, one way I look at this, and I welcome Paul's thoughts, is that they could introduce ultimately whatever system they want, but that doesn't mean that people will naturally use it. So they've tried to do e-currency and central bank digital currency in Nigeria, but the the last I heard was that 0.5% of the population was actually playing along with it. So 99.5% of people weren't playing along with it. And even if they make it compulsory, that still doesn't mean... So I'll, I'll give you an example of why this doesn't necessarily work. There's um, there's a terrific book that I keep plugging on the, the podcast called um, 40 Centuries of Wage and Price Controls. And the clue is in the title. You can get this book for free as a PDF from the Mises website in the US. It's 40 centuries of wage and price controls. And this is where I first heard about the so-called edict of Diocletian. So Diocletian was one of the sort of late, late Roman emperors. And he sort of got parachuted in. And the whole state was a mess. The, the, you know, the, 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 the Roman legions were uh, all, all around the empire, but draining, draining money from the center. High inflation. Everything was a disaster. And in a, in, a, in a vain, in a doomed attempt to try and keep a lid on inflation, does this sound at all familiar? In a doomed attempt to try and keep a lid on inflation, he introduced the so-called Edict of Diocletian. And one of the things that edict said, grain prices will not rise on pain of death. And you know what happened? Grain prices still went up. So you, government can ultimately do whatever it likes, but it doesn't mean they can force and compel everybody to go along with whatever that policy is. So in other words, if they introduce CBDC, I can tell you I'm I'm already stockpiling physical cash and I intend to use it. And I expect there to be a black market in cash. Um, well, I think all you have, really have to do is look at how other countries in the EU have have sort of developed. The likes of Italy and and Greece, they have a black they have a thriving black economy because nobody nobody ever trusts the government there. But the only thing that amazes me is how anyone after the last three years could trust anything about our own government. I find that just staggering. Why do you think they do? I, I I couldn't agree more. Why do you think they do? And also, do you think silver, uh, small denominations of silver, might be a useful thing to stockpile as well as cash? Yes, yes, absolutely. So gold and silver, they all work. Uh, and this is we, we get onto the topic of cryptocurrency, which I know is a favorite of favorite topic of Paul's. Um, but the way I look at it is, although I'm I'm not an expert on cryptocurrency, I have to I have to endorse it as as a theoretical construct because 
in an ideal world, you let you, you have multiple currencies. You let everyone decide. Let a thousand flowers bloom. Money is too important to be left to government. We've said that government basically destroys everything it touches. It's like sort of anti-Midas. Go- money is too important to be left to government. So um, this is why I'm a believer in whatever they attempt to do may not be what actually en- people end up using. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah the small denomination silver also works. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on I that. Why, why do you think they went along with it? What, why, why, why are people still trusting them now, even though stuff has started to trickle out eventually? Finally, I think it's. I think it's a. Com- I personally think it's a combination of things. It's a combination of the fact that they, people, many people, not many people, have not been sufficiently legged over enough by government to be distrustful of it yet, despite the last two and a half years. And I think it's also the the sort of the joint, um, the joint action of p- too many people are still consuming legacy media. So a combination of lingering faith in government and lingering faith in legacy media is is enough to get you over the line, sadly. Yeah, it's it's too it's is too much. The, the, the propaganda was quite impressive, but the number of times where you know my husband would say, "Oh, they'll never fall for that. They'll never fall." It was one of those moments was when they changed the died um, of COVID nineteen to died with COVID nineteen, mm. um, and that was just completely ignored. And then you, you saw the BBC anchors there with a straight face cracking on as if nothing, had, <laughs> tiny insignificant detail. <laughs> and it, time after time, it's like, oh, this will wake people. This will be the one. No, no, no. Still over and over and over. Even my, you know, my friend's wedding. Um, just um, unbelievable that, you know, I, I wouldn't consider getting married under under those kind of draconian restrictions. How dare you? You know, bridezilla, it's your wedding day, isn't it? Shouldn't it be done your way? Like, I, I really... I, I, I cannot believe that people would would permit those kinds of restrictions on 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 liberty, freedom. Really, really shocked me. The, the but also, of- let's sorry to interrupt. Let's also not forget the degree of censorship that, that's occurred. I mean, I'm I'm no longer on Twitter. I've been permanently cancelled on Twitter for having you know, attempted to speak truth to power on matters relating to COVID. And I am loving from sort of arm's length. I'm loving what Elon Musk is doing. He's like throwing throwing sort of grenades into the lake and I, I love watching what's floating up to the surface now uh, I think it's that there's even a realistic chance that Fauci may get what he richly deserves just just by the power of Musk do you think he really will I I, I, ha- I have to hope uh, and think that he will because otherwise there is no natural justice in this world it would be a re- I must admit it would be a real tonic if they got Fauci Tim I would love that. Yeah, he, he, he would be a great scalp to get you know, that, that, could, that could literally transform everything because he's, he's still such a venerated figure, despite the fact that I, I personally think he's guilty of genocide. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. There's, there's that senator that's going after him, Big Stan, has been for Ron, a Ron Paul. Thank you, Ran, yes. Rand Ran Paul. Rand Paul. I, I was, do you know what? The reason I didn't say his name was because I was going to do what you just did. That's exactly what I'm trying <laughs> to avoid. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for sparing me. Um, yeah, no, I, I get those two. I don't mix them up. I just say the wrong one when I mean the other. I, I know which is which, but bless him. He's Hasn't he Hasn't he been you know, pedal to the metal for, for and everybody? And you've also got Robert Kennedy Jr. as well. So there's yeah. plenty of people holding these people's feet to the fire. I, I did. I did watch um, the, the the. Did you watch the the real Tony Fauci, the real Anthony Fauci, the movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I bought the book, but I couldn't get past about Me chapter too. two because I I wanted to vomit. So I, I put the book to one side. But I, the, the documentary is good as well. Yeah, I I've got the book. I haven't yet uh, got stuck into it, but I did watch the documentary, and it's 
I'm really glad that somebody of, of that caliber, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., is really, really going for it. I loved his speech in Berlin um, quite early on during the pandemic. I thought he was magnificent. I don't know if you've had a chance to see that, but if not, it's, it's well worth a, a watch or a listen. It was, I think it was, I think it was 2020. It was, it was the, it was an enormous protest in, in Berlin, and Bobby Kennedy Jr. flew there and gave the, one of the best speeches I think I've ever heard. It was wonderful. Um, it's, it's great to have somebody like that. And blessing, he started out, didn't he, um, getting the mercury out of the rivers. And it was only because some parents came to him and said, well, did you realize there's mercury in the vaccines and they've damaged our kid? And he said, get out of here, you're crazy. Um, and then little by little, uh, the, you know, more parents said, no, this is this is real. He looked into it. And that's how he became the, the children's health defense guy. He used he, he literally was a more of an environmentalist lawyer. He was you know, suing large corporations for dumping chemicals, dangerous chemicals into rivers and that sort of stuff. And it, he, he, you know, so he's, he's portrayed in the in the fake news media as this dangerous anti-vaxxer and all this nonsense. Well, hang on a minute. Look at the man's history. Look at look at where he started and look at what he was doing. And, you know, he's got a pretty good record, has, has he not? Um, the cases that he's won, he's, he's forever suing government. Uh, he talks about that in, in, in his documentary. Extraordinary man. Great. Um, Tim, what that do you could think? Be, that could be your media pick, couldn't it? Yes. The uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, Berlin speech. I've seen yeah. the link, link for it. I'll take a look for that. Yeah, sure. And I also thought of Citizen Four. Because um, I know it's quite a long time ago now, but I, I I didn't see that at the time, and it's something I've watched recently. Citizen Four. It's um, it's got Glenn Greenwald in it, and obviously Edward Snowden. Uh, it's a fascinating. I, I I watched it twice back to back because I couldn't believe it. Some of the things I learned about surveillance, and I I, I consider myself to know that pretty much everything you say and do online is is can and is perhaps being recorded but that it was terrifying that was something that i it was a really good scare that i've had recently and i thought i i really needed that i got a bit complacent with my computers and a bit complacent with my cameras and i think actually do you know what that was that's probably what i needed so yeah citizen four is a another good one so are we into media picks then tim we, i think we are now yeah, we are, we now. are now okay <laughs> do, do you want to go for it I'll, I'll 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 share mine, which is I think. Um, uh, let me just see if I can find it. I think Sarah mentioned Iraq at, right at the top of the show. There's a I saw a film yesterday, Under the Shadow, uh, which was made I think in 2016 or so, um, which is a horror film um, set in the Iran Iraq War in the 80s, and there's a, a mum and a kid and. Um, uh, they're in a little apartment, and then a, a, a missile comes through the roof. Uh, it doesn't explode. It's an unexploded bomb. And then there are intimations that it may may actually contain evil spirits. It's it's a fantastically atmospheric, creepy. No, not I wouldn't call it a gore fest. It's just a creepy film, but it's very very unsettling. It's a slow burner, and it's very unsettling. And it's one of the best horror films I've seen in ages. Under the shadow. Under called. the shadow. Excellent. Um, On the list. Thank you. Mine. I think Sarah would have seen this i hope she has but if she hasn't this is this could be a bit of a treat um also from 2016 also happens to be a film and it's the um vigo mortensen's um captain fantastic have you seen that no i haven't okay it's about a a dad who educates his children in america and uh it's just brilliant so it uh, extols the virtue of uh, education. Home, home education. Yeah. Homeschooling. Homeschooling. So. Thank you. On the also on the list. Nice. Yeah, yeah I think it's a f fantastic film. Really excellent. Really, some really brilliant moments in it. Um, 
so I love that you're doing this because it's quite hard uh, with it's sometimes it's difficult I find it difficult to watch uh, things because I can see the pre-programming or the the agenda and it makes me want to vomit but it's really nice that you're offering stuff that um, you know can can reasonably be tolerated and, and perhaps even enjoyed uh, and loved it's been I, I found it difficult uh, re, you know even reading reading some stuff but particularly film watching has become more 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 difficult than it was uh, before uh, the last couple of years in, in particular which ones have you found difficult um oh, tons and tons anything to do with contagious viruses right. uh, you, you look at it and just think oh here we go again uh, they, they they always tell you they always tell you um, I, I I found it, it, well contagion is the obvious one but there's I've watched two or three two or three more and I just I can't bear this one it's always after the fact so I, I don't watch a lot of film anyway um, I prefer I prefer live theatre and I prefer to read if, if I'm if I'm honest and and I like documentaries as well I think the success of Maverick is a bit of a wake up call for Hollywood I think they're realizing that that. These, these woke agendas and these woke series and things that, that just aren't aren't connecting with people. You can have the noisy people who say this is the way they want it, but actually people do vote with their feet. And going back to what Tim was saying before about money and, and how I think things will play out, I, I totally agree. I think if the government decide to introduce something that people don't like, they will just go to a country that... or they will move or... Or they will be forced to change. So I'm I'm quite optimistic. But given that I've mentioned your handles, uh, Sarah, perhaps you could uh, just tell us where we could find you. And... Um, sure. Yeah, I'm at Substack. So SarahPlumley.substack.com. Uh, it's pretty much the only. F- well, it, se- it seems to be the, the place where everyone who gets kicked off other forms of social media goes to. So that's why I'm there. I'm technically still on Twitter, but it's not worth it. I'm. I must be heavily shadow banned or something because I I tweet and I used to get like two three thousand likes if I wrote a good one and these days I can barely get three or four so uh, I think there's some skullduggery with with my Twitter account I'm pretty sure of it so even it's now at Sarah the UK oh yeah even, even now, now that I don't I'm not an Elon Musk believer I don't I don't think Elon Musk's who he says he is really? um, and I, I, I really yeah I I've said it I've said it so let's see what happens but I, I don't think he is really for free speech um, and I, I don't I don't like that he's got I don't understand how one guy can be the you know an expert in neurolink so brain chips rocket, uh, an expert in science. cars an expert in social media sorry Tim I missed that Go on. and rocket science Oh yeah, I was coming to that one. And their DARPA link, sorry, uh, Starlink. Um, I don't. I just. I think they was it Skynet or whatever the the, the device. <laughs> might as well be. <laughs> it's DARPAnet. I, I call it DARPA link in this house. But I. I just. I don't. I'm. I'm really not sure about that. I look at people who are, you know, very smart and have worked very hard. You know, like you guys and, you know, Tim, all, all the stuff that that you've done in in your industry. And I think, well, you know, you've worked really hard and you've put many many years into. Being, a, I hate the word expert, but if, if you'll forgive me this once, being an expert in, in what you do. And I think, well, how do you get an expert in five things? Is Elon Musk really that much better than you, Tim? I, I'm sorry, I don't think so. I really don't. Listening to him, how does he have time to smoke pot with Joe Rogan if he's like saving the world in five different major areas? Like I'm, I'm not buying it, and I'm not. I, I'm definitely not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do an experiment on Twitter. Actually, um, I'm gonna do the 12 days of Christmas, and I'm going to tweet the same things on Gab 
Getter and Twitter on the exact same days, pretty much at the exact same times. And I'm going to monitor what happens. At the moment, Twitter reckons I've got 7,000 or something followers. I've got nothing on Gab or Getter because I don't think I'm on either of them yet. But I'm going to join on Christmas Day. And I'm going to run a little experiment for Mr. Musk because I'm not convinced. And why should some? Why should a nobody like me not be allowed to say whatever I want on Twitter? You know, it's le- what I say is legal. So what's the problem here? And I, well, the proof will be in the pudding, won't it? Let's see. Let's see what happens. Great stuff. And so uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, just good luck with everything. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I, you know, I, I run the Plumley pod, so I, I podcast as well. It'd be lovely to have you guys on and you can come and educate um, my parents, not my parents, the parents, I always call them my parents, the parents I work for, the parents I work with, um, because, we, you know, we, we all realise that we, uh, many of us lack, you know, financial education and it's 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 vital and it, it matters. So it'd be really lovely to have you guys uh, on, on the Blumley pod sometime. We could have a four-way cage fight with Stephen Wilkinson. <gasps> oh, it'd be a riot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Paul. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.